Hello, and thank you for listening to the Hilariously Unemployed Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Duckworth, also known as The Big Speaker. My goal with this podcast is ultimately to get someone hired. I know all too well the impacts of unemployment and layoffs. My guests and I hope to provide insight and resources that will support someone in gaining their next opportunity. You can support the Hilariously Unemployed podcast and those who are impacted by unemployment by giving this podcast a five-star review, sharing it with someone who's hiring, or someone who's hilariously unemployed. I hope that you enjoy the show and find some laughter throughout. Hello and welcome to the Hilariously Unemployed episode 18. I am your host and favorite opportunity seeker, Dana Duckworth, aka Speak Up Dana, but better known on this show as the big speaker. I am so excited to be with y'all here today. This is episode 18. It's the season finale, y'all. I am, I can't believe it. I can't believe I've done 18 episodes of a thing. I did not even want to be a podcaster. People told me that I had the voice for it and I said, I never want to hear myself. I never want to listen to myself back and I never want my words to live on that long. But apparently that was all a lie because here I am 18 episodes later and I this is the absolute favorite thing that I do out of all of the opportunities and all of the things that I do for work and support myself and my family. This podcast, which pays me nothing but dust, is my favorite thing to do. So it is <laughs> my least revenue generating activity that I do all week. But honestly, it's the thing that I pour my heart into because my mission is clear. I am going to get someone hired through this podcast platform. So whether it's today, tomorrow, or the next day, somebody will join the Hilariously Unemployed and provide someone with an opportunity for their next career journey. All right, y'all. So I just wanted to share that because I, I think I'm a little, I was like, am I emotional about rapping season one? I don't think so. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm on Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Coca-Cola Zero. Relax. Uh, <laughs> I am feeling really, really good, though, and excited that we are wrapping. I have a very exciting announcement also. So this is the season finale. There will be no more podcast episodes for 2023. I'll be back with The Vengeance in January of 2024. But what do we have for you? Well, when you're unemployed, you no longer get those invites to the holiday party. So myself and one of my former guests who's in the audience, Jay Russ, decided to collab on a holiday event for the unemployed. So join us for our virtual Hilariously Unemployed podcast party next Friday at the same time we record the show, 3 to 4. It'll be on Zoom, so you'll finally get to see the face behind the podcast. You'll get to learn more about Jay Russ, uh, hear what she's been up to since her episode. Other hilarious plan to attend. Sponsors will be there as well. Supporters of the podcast. We're going to do some trivia. I've already had some amazing sponsors reach out and say that they will do some coaching hours. So we'll have giveaways. Aisha Shepard, the joyful leader who has been powering me with Dunkin' Donuts gift cards, is going to power one of you with a Dunkin' Donuts gift card if you join. So look forward to that. The invite is already out. If you want to attend, fill out the registration form and we will make sure that you are there. We're going to have a good time. Y'all know how I give it up. So it's going to be lots of laughs, lots of fun. And we are going to make sure that we're providing you with some resources through our prizes and our raffle giveaway. All right. So that's enough about me and everything that I've got going on. Let's get into the show and the reason that you are really here. I am so excited to invite my last guest for the season to the show. This is probably the perfect way for us to culminate the season of Hilariously Unemployed that we've had. Today, I'm welcoming Darla Bishop, and I'm excited to welcome Darla Bishop, one, because she's a military spouse, and if you know about me, I'm here in Virginia, and we have the largest Navy base, so I'm very familiar with the plight of the military members as well as their spouses. They are constantly uh, charged with having to relocate, support their spouses, and we're so thankful and grateful for the way that they protect and honor our country. She also is an author of a book, and what better way to end a season about hilarious unemployment than to talk about some financial literacy and how we can better support ourselves and our family with her book, How to Afford Everything. So I am so proud and so excited to be finishing my season with a doctor, Darla Bishop. Please say hello to the hilarious. Hello, Hilarious. I am so happy to be here with you today. <laughs> I like that was an awesome introduction. In the, I could hear like the do, 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 do. It was like you were, I heard the music played in my head as you were talking. Like, thank you for that. I feel like 
even more pumped up. Hey, you should. And this will go on podcast platforms. So you can chop that thing up and use it to introduce yourself wherever you want to. <laughs> Ooh. Noted. <laughs> Maybe I should start doing that as well since I already have so many jobs. Maybe I should start selling intros and I'll be like people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then maybe that would transform this to your least revenue generating to like generating some. Yeah. I mean, if it could be my most revenue generating in 2024, I would absolutely love that. So again, if you want to sponsor. Wish for because, you know, (laughs) if it's the most generating, it it might mean that nothing else is paying you. So don't so don't do that. You know what? Let's keep everything generating bucks into my pockets. Okay, big bucks. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) That's right. All right, right. darling. So how we start every show here is asking our guests how long they've been hilariously unemployed, but you are overly employed. So tell us if you've ever been hilariously unemployed. Yes, I have been hilariously unemployed and it was quite hilarious because I do not do well. And so for those of you who are listening, who are struggling with being unemployed because you're like, what am I supposed to do with my day and my week and my life? Um, I was there with you on the couch like you can only make so many fancy dinners before hmm. you're like okay but really like can somebody give me a spreadsheet to sort or something yeah. um and so the last time I was hilariously unemployed was um in a move from Michigan to Washington DC mm-hmm. you know I was like I've got a couple degrees I'm smart I, it won't take me long to find work it took me a nice seven and a half months to wow. find work um and part of it was at that point, I didn't understand the importance and power of networking. Yes. So once I figured that out, thanks to reading some books, because part of the reason I wrote a book is because I love to read books to help me solve my problems and some guidance from some good mentors. Like they were like, well, go meet some people and then maybe you'll get a job. And I was like, oh, <laughs> OK, I can I can do that. I'm going to try it. And it worked. <laughs> Yeah, we talk about the power of community and networking a lot here on the show. Um, A lot of the networking I have done either through the show or here on LinkedIn has really afforded me some great opportunities. And then, of course, you make relationships in person. So the power of networking, like, it's true, y'all. You can't just be at home making those fancy dinners and thinking that your next opportunity is going to fall in your lap. Of course, we're all applying and, and looking for those roles, but people are the path to employment. Okay. Let me say that again. People are the path to employment. So who are your people? Who do you know? Who loves you? (laughs) Who doesn't love you but thinks that you do a great job? Hit them up too because people are the path to employment. So Darla, can you tell me what industry or what role you had when you were hilariously unemployed and kind of how it all went down? Yeah. So at the time before we moved, I was working in academic research So working for a large university, doing research in public health and public health policy. And it was the type of job that really wasn't at all mobile. And so I think I got a special exception to maybe do two weeks remotely to finish up um, one project that was very close to ending, but I wasn't going to be able to finish it before we moved. And so I got like, I had to go through several layers of permission to work remotely from a different state to close out a few reports and get everything to the principal investigator. That's the person who's in charge of a research project. Mm -hmm. When we moved to DC, my plan was to find either another academic research job. So go apply at universities, or I had this dream of going to work in health policy, whether that meant working for a legislator since we'd be in DC or working for one of the um, big nonprofit or non-government organizations that also does research like the Trust for America's Health or the such and such for for healthy families mm-hmm. um, and applying for jobs. I remember I kept a spreadsheet because I am dangerously organized. Mm-hmm. Like it works, but it's sometimes it's dangerous. Um, and my spreadsheet got up to 217 jobs that I'd applied to. Wow. And I think around those 217 jobs, I had amassed about 115 or so versions of my resume. Wow. That's a lot. That's a job to do that job, to get a job. Yeah, it is. And what I think helped fuel me is luckily at the time I had a supportive partner who didn't mind and we had the money saved, which is why financial literacy is so important. We had a few months of money saved 
the move, the military covered the bulk of the expenses for the move. So we didn't have to dip into any of our savings for that. Mm-hmm. And I had picked up a side gig because I never, part of the reason I'm always overly unemployed, overly employed is I know I don't do well unemployed. Mm-hmm. So I always have something I can do, even if it's part-time a couple of days a week. So I think I found a way to babysit, um, you know, care for children, for families. Mm-hmm. I think I was working at a restaurant a couple nights a week just so I could have like some nail money because mm-hmm. this is when I get my nails done. And mm-hmm. you know, when, you, when you're a person who gets your nails done and you can't get your nails done, like you, every time you see your hair, you'd be really sad. Hey, that's so funny you say that because I was on the phone with my good girlfriend, Ashia Shepard, earlier and she had on a scarf and I said, Ashia, what's going on? She was mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm working from home today. Um, I don't have my hair done. And I told them, I'm just not my best when I don't have my hair done. Like, I'm I'm just not. And I was like, you're right. If, if you see me without lashes and nails, know that I have absolutely hit the wall of unemployment and y'all need to send help because I will do anything and everything to make sure that my nails and my lashes and my toes are done. Those are things that I just, I just feel so put together. Also, right, like Jesus like, be a gift card to the nail shop. Yeah, like okay. also my hair, like I have to feel put together because if I'm not, I'm just in here laying in the bed, child. So I make sure that I keep I keep enough funds to make sure that all of my self-care is covered. So that's so funny that you mentioned that you were doing whatever, whatever needs to be done to make sure those nails were done. Mm-hmm. So let's talk. Now, about- don't ask me about my nails today. I got little kids now, so well, that's no longer a self-care practice. <laughs> Well, you know, you're doing other things uh, like writing a book, so we can let you off the hook with that. But I'd like to dive in a little bit about your spouse's military experience. How long have you been a military spouse? Share what branch of the military and kind of where that service has taken you all in the world. Yeah, so I have been a military spouse for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We got married in 2013, um, but had been in a mostly serious as serious of a relationship you can be in when you're in your 20s for like six or seven before that Mm -hmm. um so this is a person who i've been in a relationship continuously with for like i think like going on 20 years Mm -hmm. come 2024 Mm -hmm. and he actually kind of did a little bait and switch on me when we were in college he was doing rotc Mm -hmm. and i remember like kind of early in our relationship, I was like, oh, so are you going to be in the military? Is that why you do ROTC? And he's like, no, my mom used to work for the military as a civilian. And she told me I should do it for scholarship money. Mm -hmm. And it's cool as heck that I get to like climb on walls. And like, I have these really cool pictures of me, like holding big machine guns. (laughs) And I feel like it'll be good memories for me to have when I'm older. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And then when he went to graduate school, I had already finished graduate school the first time he was going to graduate school. He was like, hey, since I'm going to do this master's degree, it actually makes sense for me to take some additional scholarship money. But in order for me to take that money, I need to make a commitment to the military. I was like, "Okay, well, what does that look like? He said, well, I'm going to join the Michigan National Guard because we were living in Michigan at the time. Okay. And what this means is that I had to sign up in order to take the scholarship money for a four-year commitment. If I'm in the National Guard for these two years I'm in school, I'll knock down half of that time. So I'll only owe the Army two more years. I was like, I can do math. That makes a lot of sense to me. (laughs) And then in the middle of that, he was like, oh, and by the way, I actually have to go on a deployment. So I'm going to take one year off of school to go on this deployment, but I'll be back. And the timing is actually going to work perfectly. I get back like two weeks before the semester starts. So I'll just miss exactly the academic year come back finish my second year and now I'll only own the army one year when I graduate I was like okay the math I can still do math okay it's fine Mm -hmm. when he comes back he's like yeah so it turns out I'm gonna um this is gonna be my career I'm gonna be in the military like forever (laughs) now and then the math was not math and no more right I was like wait two and then four and then how we get to 20 and then he was like, well, actually, it's going to be like 23 and a half. Wow. Because in order for me to retire with full benefits, when you're in the National Guard, some of that time doesn't count. It counts part time. You don't get full credit for that time. Mm-hmm. So in order for me to be eligible for full retirement benefits, I'll probably have to be in the military about 23 and a half years total. Okay. I was like, wait, wait, what happened to one week in a month? It was cool. I liked the one week in a month. That was actually the weekend I'd organize the house. I'd redo the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like do my thing. I play my music. I eat the, my Indian food because he didn't really like Indian food. Mm-hmm. You know, I order my sushi. Didn't have to share. It was awesome. 
but not wait. Now we're in the military for twenty three and a half years. Wow, how that happened? What year is he on now? Uh, we're on the downslope actually, because he can retire twenty thirty two. And will he? Uh, it, ooh, I mean, we have to do a whole episode on this. So, so he's in the army and army career progression is a whole thing in itself mm-hmm. because in order to get your retirement pay at your highest rank, you have to be in that rank for three years. Okay. So if he's close to retirement age and he gets promoted, he will probably sign on to stay the full three years because then that could mean thousands of dollars every year in additional retirement pay. Wow. But if he is nowhere near a retire near, nowhere near a promotion at the time of his retirement, then he'll just go ahead, take his money, say thank you so much. I'm done. Like now I'm a veteran. So, so it you really- we won't know because a lot of things could happen between now and 2032 like depending on when his next promotion happens mm-hmm. and then the promotion after that, whether we get an international assignment, it's a game of chess. Wow. Um, so he has to decide if he wants to work really hard to get another promotion or if he wants to chill because the timeline of that is you just don't know. So you're kind of like stuck in between. Yeah. And I mean, the good news is, um, I married someone who's a lot like me mm-hmm. and that usually works out for us is that he's going to work hard no matter what. Okay. So really it's the external factors that we don't control mm-hmm. that will determine whether or not he is at that point was like, nope, I'm signing on because yeah. I, I really have a chance at becoming a general. And I mean, well, you know what? <laughs> I never had this dream, but like yeah. doctor and general bishop, how good would that hey, look like? That is fire. Okay. Sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> the doctor and the general are in. I love that right? so much. Let's put that into the universe for you all. Okay. So only you- maybe because it's going to take us into 30 years. No, well, yeah. <laughs> You talked a lot about his military service. Where on the planet have you all lived because of this military service? So I have only been in the United States. Mm -hmm. So between different cities in Michigan Mm -hmm. and Washington, D.C., Arlington, Virginia, Mm -hmm. um, he has had assignments in other places in the Middle East, as well as um, some trainings in several countries in Africa. He Mm -hmm. actually did this really awesome fellowship over the summer where he got to visit um, four African countries and Mm -hmm. do some trainings. Um, But I myself, because not all of those assignments can the family come along. Right, right, right. I've only been in the U.S. But anytime there's a movement of someone who is an integral part of the family, Mm -hmm. it impacts the entire family. So how have his movements and even the movements that you've had inside of the U.S. impacted your career journey? Oh, like, so if you met me when I was 24, I had my whole life planned. Hmm. I see a couple of my friends listening here, like Tiffany can attest to you. Like I had my whole life planned and mapped out, like here's plan A, here's plan B. And if this part of plan B changes, I'm going to just switch over back to plan A or back to plan C. Mm -hmm. So being with a person that (laughs) makes you live a life where you have so little control over not only where you live, but how long you're going to live there. And how much time you even have to move when it's time to move mm-hmm. has forced me to, out of my comfort zone, out of my nature to be flexible. Mm-hmm. And so what it has done for me has actually been a gift, but it was a hard fought gift of becoming a flexible careerist where I had to really like bust it down to what are my values as a person who works for my money? Mm-hmm. You know, what spaces do I need to be in? What's my magic number? How much these people need to pay me? Because let me tell you something. My zip code might change, but my price tag does not. Hey. Today's price is not today's price, okay? <laughs> and so, like, just because my zip code changed and maybe I'm living in a market that the salaries are a little bit lower mm-hmm. don't mean that my price changed. Mm-hmm. And so that means it sometimes takes me even longer to find work because if we move to a market where the average salary is just a little bit longer, then I have to actually fight and show my value because people are going to have to pay me outside of the market. Yeah. The other thing that it's, it also forced me to do and thinking about my values is like, well, what is the impact I want to make through the time I'm spending at work? Right. And I was like, okay, I care about the health of communities. So And that can look a lot of different ways. And so if you look at my resume, you might see like, girl, what do you want to do when you grow up? Mm -hmm. I've seen you've worked on Capitol Hill. You've done research. You work in health insurance. You were were a doula for a while. You're a professor. Like, Mm -hmm. can you 
can you decide what you want to do with your life? And that the short answer is I want to make money mm-hmm. so I can pay my bills and be happy and um, pay for conveniences that make my life easier, especially when my husband is un- unable to be, you know, on all four cylinders when he's home mm-hmm. or when he's away. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that the work I'm doing feels like I'm contributing to the health of communities, especially where the historically excluded live, work, play so that they can thrive. So as if the job of, allows those two things, I'm good. So you can call me the janitor as long as my paycheck is right. Mm-hmm. And somehow me being a janitor improves the health of the community we're in. Yeah. Wow. You really have that together. It's so funny because just last week I posted on LinkedIn that I'm struggling to tell people what it is that I do. People will be like, what? What do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I do a lot of things. Some of them pay me. Some of them don't pay me. Um, but I really love them. So a flexible careerist, first of all, that's a word, y'all. Um, <laughs> I love that term and we're going to coin it here on Polariously Unemployed. That's a great term. Please do. But careerist because I think what people, especially when I was going through a couple of these job changes and, you know, I'm meeting people for the first time in the context of an interview, they're like, you have a great, inter- you have a great diversity of experiences, but like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, the best way I can describe it is I want to have a career despite all the forces that are making it hard for me to still build a meaningful career and not just a list of jobs. And so I was like, I'm a careerist. (laughs) That's who I am. Yeah. I'm a careerist too, y'all. You heard it. Now we got my title finally. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that you know exactly what your mission is. So you know what you want your impact to be. I want to impact communities in a positive way. So everything that you look for when it comes to that flexible careerist is to make sure that you're in alignment with that. And I think so many times, especially, you know, Black people, we get into a space where it's like, I just got to have a job. And we don't always have the opportunity to be selective of what it is that we do. And we feel like, hey, I just have to take what comes. But having that mission and being able to stick to that core value that I need to be impacting community in some way. I love that. I love that you're using that as your guiding light. Yeah. And I mean, the the there are two things to point out about that. I'm so glad you pulled that out. Mm-hmm. Is one, part of the reason why I can't be choosy is because I got money in the bank. Mm-hmm. And so that money in the bank buys me time and buys me choices when it comes to which jobs I do and do not take. On the other hand, I also want to say for the people who are in the position where being choosy is just not the option, that's okay too. Your time will come. Take what comes. If it's a survival job, it's a job that gets you from being hilariously unemployed to at least employed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't have any shame about that. Get what you can from that job, especially if it's money and resources and coaching and development, and then use it as a springboard to your next thing so that the next time you're in the position to look for work, you can be more choosy. That was doctor's orders, y'all. You heard that. So remember it, lock it in. Thank you so much for that. So speaking of having money in the bank, let's go ahead and get into how you became an author and why it was so important to you to focus on a topic like financial literacy. Let's talk about how to afford everything. Oh, okay. So I am super emotional this week about it because this is a book that I have had in my brain for the better part of a decade. And so this week I got to actually hold it in my hands. Mm. And I was like, whoa, like, Mm. it's like really here. People can read it. People can hear these stories. People might learn something from me. And like, I'm getting chills even talking about it now. So I'm going to calm myself down. And part of the reason I wanted to write this book is because in my own journey, I had to unlearn so many things Mm -hmm. about money, about how to talk about money, about how to use money, about how to earn money, about how to keep money, about how to save money, about how to feel comfortable with having a little bit of it. Because I grew up in situations where we frequently went through cycles of feast and starve. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the feasting pull up the starve a little faster. But when you're tired of being poor, when you are living a life of poverty, sometimes you just need to treat yourself. You need to treat yourself day, right? And Mm -hmm. so I remember having to really build some things, not only in my practices and my habits, but in my body. Like I had to make sure my body knew that if we did these things, if we did these things in, in a certain order, if we made certain types of choices about our money, about how we 
spent the money, about how we earned the money, about how we used our time, that my body, you can trust that we won't be poor again. Mm -hmm. Like, it's okay, body. Like, trust me. Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to go to these three jobs this week because these three jobs help us get that dollar amount that we need this week to pay all the bills and to put money in our savings account and to be able to send money to mama if she calls and she needs it. Right? Like, the three jobs is what's doing that. So I know the body is tired, but this is temporary. If we do this for one, one and a half, maybe two years, Mm -hmm. we will set the foundation Plus, with your education and the things that you're reading about in books, about how to use money, about how to have a career, about all these different things that you'll need to know, like, body, I need you to trust me. It's going to be worth it. But it took a lot of work to do that. And this book is kind of my way of hopefully saving someone who is in a similar or relatable position from reading the 110 books it took me and the thousands and thousands of therapy that it took me. Although if therapy is helping you, please continue it. And if you're not sure if it might help you try it, because the worst thing that can happen is it didn't help you. And you spent an hour or two with some, with a new friend or a new enemy. (laughs) Um, And that like, but maybe, you know, maybe if they can read my book, it will save them some of the years that it took me to get here. Maybe that'll be, it'll be a faster path for them. Let's talk about some of those years. What were some of the things that impacted you the most and really made you want to tell other people about those things? Because a lot of times, especially financial and especially in the Black community, y'all, we do not talk about money, okay? Especially if it's funny. Um, We do not have conversations openly and honestly about our finances. So what got you to a place where you felt like, hey, I can share my stories, um, and and ultimately your triumphs, right? Because now you're in a space where you can afford everything. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, I think there are two really pivotal moments for me. So I realized, like the moment I realized I made it, it was a couple years after college. I was driving on a Saturday afternoon to do errands and my tire blew out. Luckily, I was actually really close to my apartment, maybe a block. So I just, you know, put my hazard lights on, drove a block and a half, parked safely, and then was like, hmm, what do I do about this car? Mm-hmm. Call a tow truck, tow truck comes and get me and says, and I say, can you take me to the military base? Because the military place I know has the best pricing. And they said, sorry, I can't take the tow truck on the military base. But I know this other tire store that, you know, I've had good experience with, you know, people say that they're friendly and fair. Mm-hmm. And so I'll take you there. I say, sure. And I, I'm pretty sure my husband was away because mm-hmm. why, otherwise, why would I be dealing with the car stuff? Right. <laughs> and so, so I'm, you know, the tow truck says, okay, you're good. And kind of drops me off at this tire store, leaves me alone. And, but, and he was right. The, the staff was really friendly. They were very helpful. I asked a bunch of questions and they said, well, you know, ma'am, we can of course just, just um, replace your tire, but we always recommend that you replace two so that we don't mess up your balance. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that because I had an uncle who was a hood mechanic. And so he, I remember him saying like, yeah, we can patch this tire up, but you really need to get some new tires. And if you can't mm-hmm. get all four, then just at least get the two. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I do know that. So how much for two tires? And he told me and I was like, okay, I think that can do that. I was like, well, actually, before before I before you put that in the computer, hold up, don't, don't push that little enter button. Wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. I saw on the sign you had buy two, get two. He was like, oh yeah, we have that. But I could tell you were kind of on a budget. So I didn't mention that because that's a higher cost tire. Mm -hmm. And so if you buy two of those tires, you do get two free. And so it'll be like 120 more than what I just quoted you for the two tires. I was like, well, 120 more for four tires. And you said they're higher quality. Like I know about value. Like, okay, let's do it. I got my credit card today. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's do the four tires. That sounds like a better deal and I'll get a better quality tire. And then you know, my balance won't be messed up at all. He's like, yeah, no problem. So he swipes my card. He does. He's like, okay, ma'am. It'll just take us like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and sit. And I remember being in the tire store, like nervous, like sitting in the chair, like doing a real subtle rock back and forth. Like, did I just spend like $500 on tires? I wasn't supposed to spend $500 on tires. Is this going to like ruin? Because I remember going up, car repair ruined like six Everything. weeks Everything. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so I was like, was like, but trying to be subtle about it. Cause you know, like these people don't know me. They don't want, I shouldn't show them that I'm rocking back and forth in the lobby of the tire store. But then like, before I could even say, actually, I changed my mind. Just give me one tire. He's like, okay, ma'am, you crossed already. And I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, thank you. Have, have, have a great day. So I'm like, 
walking, you know, slowly mm-hmm. shaking my head. Like, did I really just spend this money? Like the whole time I'm walking to my car, get in the car, pull out into, onto Lee Highway in, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the car felt brand new. Oh. Like getting tires, it felt like driving a brand new car. And I remember thinking like, Darla, it's okay. You have the money. You used your credit card, but you have the money in your bank account. If you mm-hmm. want to pay this bill today, you can pay it today. Mm-hmm. It's okay, baby. Like I'm like, I'm talking to myself yeah. in the car. Like, it's okay. It's okay. And I remember just feeling like, okay, a car repair isn't something that is going to ruin six weeks. It's mm-hmm. not going to mess up school schedules and mm-hmm. work schedules and ability for people to keep jobs and light bills. No. It's okay. It just took you two hours to solve this problem and you solved it. Now go on about your day in your car that feels like it's brand new because you got new tires. Wow. I think you just unpacked a lot of our Black childhoods. Like, you know, we talked about it in our discovery call. A lot of us have lived the same life. And I remember if something happened to my mama's car, it it was about to be rough and rocky from there. If something happened to her car, that was truly going to change the next coming months, like there was going to have to be some shifts in what it is that we were capable of doing. Um, and now even myself, now that I'm hilariously unemployed, like my car is making a little sound. It's like leaning and rocking. And I'm like, I'm not trying to drop this thing off because they're going to give me a bill. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. But in reality, I'm grateful that I would be able to afford it. But the trauma of thinking about how it impacted us as children yeah. is still there for me. I mean, unless they tell me it's going to cost $5,000, <laughs> y'all can keep the car at that point because you can have it. It's almost paid off. <laughs> but I can afford it and I am in a position to be able to afford it. But something in me is just like, hey, it's right before the holidays. If you go, you got the news. So now you got to act on it. Like, what are you going to do? Right. What are you going to do? So, yeah, you just... And imagine the power of that, right? Mm -hmm. To take an experience that is so deep in your body. So not even just in your brain and your emotions, but you can feel the stress in your body. And then to have an experience like that transformed into a minor inconvenience that just took two two hours out of your Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. The power of that and the power, the source of that power was having money in the bank. And it wasn't even that much money. Yeah. It wasn't like I had millions of dollars. I just had like a couple thousand yeah. as a as a backup. That's transformative. Thank you so much, doctor. I got to go tell my mama. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back to the book. Can you tell us some of the names of your chapters? <laughs> oh, okay. So the I had some fun with this because uh-huh. I thought, you know, if it's my first book and if I never write a book again, then it needs to at least be fun. And so the first chapter um, is, <laughs> sorry, I can't even get it out. Because like just reading this this chapter, I'm like, you really you really did this? Yeah, like, you, it's you, real money you went talk, there, right? Yeah. And so like real talk, but about money. So real money talk. So my husband, who I didn't let read any of the book mm-hmm. at all while, the whole time I was writing it, you know, he was helping me. Um, I was signing them. He was helping me pack them in the box and put mm-hmm. little um, book notes in them because he was being a good helper. Yeah. And he was like, oh, let me read this. And I was like, okay. And he noticed, he said, why is your first chapter so long? My first chapter is like almost 30 pages mm-hmm. because I was like, look, I know how people read books. If they only read one chapter in this book, I need them to get as much out of it as they can. Yeah. So the first chapter is really long because I put, I jump right in and I get as much in as I can in case you put the book down and never pick it up again. Mm-hmm. And in this book, I actually am like, hey, look, I'm as we're talking about a budget, there's a couple of things you need to know. Like, Budget is not a bad word. This isn't me or you telling you not to have a good life. In fact, the budget is what's going to get you there faster. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like, I'm not going to give you stupid rules like the 90-10 rule or the 80-20 rule or the 50-30-20 rule because I don't know your life. But the funny part about it is you might not either. So the whole point of this chapter is for you to figure out where your money is going today Mm -hmm. so we can then build where you really, truly need it and want it to go so that you can afford everything. Mm. Okay. Real Money Talk, y'all. Chapter one. Give us another one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, shout out to Riri and Jay because I'm a (laughs) businessman. In chapter four, when we talk about savings, I, of course, name that umbrella ella ella <laughs> a a a 
I love how black this book is. Yes. I mean, I am me and she is her. Okay. Like, how about that? Um, and then in the career chapter, because, you know, as somebody who's really had to navigate my career, I was like, I got to put something in here about navigating your career and how to build one and how to be strategic about it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes people just get a job and then get the next job, which is fine. If, if that's working for you, cool. Yeah. But for somebody like me who has to be really thoughtful and strategic, I was like, maybe I can give some of what I know and have learned not only from my experience, but from reading to other people to help them make their career a little bit better. And so chapter eight is called Minding the Business That Pays You. Mm, that's the only business I want to be in next year, for real. Mm-hmm. And in this chapter, when I talk about the career, you know, one of the things that when I talk with students, because um, I also kind of wrote this book with younger people in mind. Mm-hmm. And when I say younger people, I mean like people in like the 20 to 40 range. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is because when you're like late 30s and up, your money needs are probably different than somebody who's just starting out Mm -hmm. as a recent college grad or someone who's just like starting their life as a full, you know, full-fledged adult. And so I really wrote this book with with that person in mind. Now, anybody who reads it can get something from it. Mm -hmm. But just so you know, like I did write it with that person in mind. Mm -hmm. And in the career chapter, you know, when I talk with young people, one of the first things they ask, you know, is like, oh, well, you know, Dr. Bishop, you know, can you look at my resume? I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll look at your resume. I'll look at your your LinkedIn in a minute, but show me your budget. And I'm like, what? What you mean, hmm. show me your budget? I said, show me your budget because let me tell you what, if you are on a serious job search and you don't know your budget, you are missing a key ingredient to your job search because if you don't know how much money you need to make at this next job, you're going to leave something on the table. Wow. I, you are almost guaranteed mm. to miss out on something you need mm-hmm. because you don't actually know what you need. So show me your budget. And they're like, well, I don't have one. I said, oh, congratulations. You are talking to the right person. I got a spreadsheet for you. What's your email address? Wow. Okay. As call, a- me back. <laughs> call me back when you're done filling it in. As what Ashia would call an elder millennial, I'm 36. I'm 36. I I I have never had that thought. So thank you for that. I definitely saw some hearts coming up in the chat because we just thinking about getting a job. I'm thinking about it's my budget and you know, we just want to be highly paid, but we don't really sit down and, and break it down and really think about it in that way. So Right. Right. And think about it. If you know your numbers, then it's much easier to slip tiny clues about what your needs are as your conversations with interviewers progress. So that when you get to the end where they're like, you know what, we love you. We want to hire you. And they offer you something that is nowhere even in the same universe Mm -hmm. because you have been able to give clues and hints along the way that were subtle, Mm -hmm. that were clear, and that you were able to be unwavering about. I'll tell you what, can I tell you the story? Do we got time? Yeah, we got time. (laughs) <laughs> okay. One of the, so when I was in um, my first job, my first full-time job, now I had like 17 jobs before then because I always worked two or three at a time when mm-hmm. I was in college and grad school. But when I was in my first like professional nine to five job, I was riding a bus one day and somebody who I'd gone to grad school with, but hadn't seen in a couple of years said, Darla, I'm so glad I saw you. I was just thinking of you. Like, the universe brought you to me. I was like, okay, it's good to see you. Like, I didn't even like this person that much. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I don't know why you wanted to see me, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, it's so good to see you. You know, trying to be nice yeah. because I don't need to be not nice. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, actually, I just found out I got into a PhD program. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And also thinking in the back of my head, I didn't know you were smart enough for a PhD program, okay. but that's awesome for you. Mm-hmm. I know. I was not a nice person in my 20s. Um, I am. I've had much more therapy now. So like I'm much nicer now. But at that time I was not so nice. I can attest so, she is very nice now, y'all. I didn't know her in her 20s, but she's very nice. There's some so, awareness so she Tell me, yeah. And so she goes on to tell me, so I got into this PhD program and I've been so nervous about quitting my job Mm -hmm. because I need to give my notice like really this week or else it's not going to be fair to the team. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm still listening for where I come in. She's Mm -hmm. like, this is perfect because you were one of the people I thought about because I wanted to give them a couple of resumes Mm -hmm. of people who could take over for me. And I was like, oh, okay, but how much you make though? And she told, (laughs) and she told me she was making like, 30% 30% more than I was making. Okay. I was like, oh, okay, bet. Yes, I will send you my resume tonight. Mm-hmm. So I got home. I sent her the resume right away because I was like, 
I don't even want to change jobs, but for a 30% pay increase, mm-hmm. sounds like something I should do. So I sent her the resume. The next day, she texts me and is like, Darla, great news. They loved your resume. You're going to get an email from so-and-so in the office. They want to interview you. Okay. And I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. I have no intention of actually taking this job because mm-hmm. at that time, I was actually working for an amazing boss who was teaching me so much about balancing life as a parent, about managing people, mm-hmm. about managing your manager. Like I was learning so much in the tutelage of this manager and I was happy. Like I was good. I had a flexible work schedule. She didn't give me no problem about my extra jobs. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was also working as a doula. And so I would be randomly send her an email be like, hey, just so you know, I have a baby due um you know, in two weeks and so <laughs> I might disappear. I'm not going to be there. Yeah. I got to deliver a baby email. <laughs> yeah. Like I might, I might, you know, disappear for two to four days over the next two weeks. And she'd be like, no problem. Good luck. Wow. I hope, hope, you know, happy birthday to the mom. So like, she was super cool. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had no intention on leaving this job. So I was like, well, and I told my boyfriend at the time, who's not my husband, I said, well, since I don't really need this job and I'm happy where I'm at, I'm going to try something in the interview mm-hmm. because like, it's okay. I'm a, I'm not going to go too far because I don't want to embarrass the girl who referred me, of right? Course. Like, because she, she, you know, right. I don't want to embarrass her. So I got to do good enough in this interview. They're like, you know what? That was a good recommendation. Thank you so much. It just, she's just not a good fit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little fun with this because I've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And so I go to the interview. It's going well. You know, I actually share about how much I really love working where I work. And so they finally kind of at the end, after we've danced around a little bit, the director of this lab, it's a research lab, says, well, Darla, if you love where you're working so much, what would it take for you to even take a job? It doesn't sound like you're trying to live. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm absolutely not. Um, I took this interview as a favor to Katie because I know, right, like that she was excited to um, present some good candidates to you. You know, I'm happy where I'm at. So it would take a strong financial offer mm-hmm. for me to leave where I'm at. And they said, okay, well, thank you for sharing. It was really nice talking with you. Have a nice day. So I left the interview fully expecting that, like, I want to go hear from these other people again because I sat in these people's faces and said, it's going to take a strong financial offer for yeah. me to leave my job. Don't you know that within 48 hours, I had a strong financial offer? Hey. <laughs> So old girl was making 30% more than what I was making. So I expected them to come in right around that 30% mark. Yeah. They came in at 40%. Wow. So I got a 40% bump off of telling people it would take a strong financial offer. So even though I wasn't planning to leave my job, I left my job. I mean, and I took that 40% bump. So the key here is go on those interviews while you're happy at your job. And tell them what you want, and they might give it to you. You have nothing right. to lose. Right. What spice girl? What what uh? What scary spice say? Tell me what you want. What, what you, you really, really, really want. want? I'll tell you what I want. What I really, really want. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna. Exactly. Oh, that was the first thing along here on hilariously unemployed. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad to have been a part of it. Yeah. With spice girls, though, I don't know. Don't worry, we're not done yet. There's opportunity for more. There might be another one. Okay, so... Actually, if I'm going to be honest with you, because I'm going to talk to you like you, my friend, like, Mm -hmm. I was actually a little disappointed you didn't jump in on the umbrella. Umbrella. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity for me. I'm so sorry. Um, If you ran it back, I would gladly back you up, but... um, Okay, good to know. Good to know. All right, so let's... Do you have any other song titles that are chapters? Because we could do that. I do not, but I have several Lil Wayne quotes in the book. Oh, oh, my audience would love that. Please share some of those quotables. Well, you know, like, you know, move, G's move in silence like lasagna. It's part of it. Yes. Yeah. It's it's out of context. It's not as funny. So, well, so let's move on. If we're talking about money. Then I can't get what you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. Like, but out of context, it's not as funny. And so I kind of regret bringing that one up. Never. Not here at the Hilarious Unemployed. We keep it very weird here. Awesome. So let's talk about why you wanted to focus so much on first generation professionals. I know we talked about our trauma of our mama getting a flat tire, but let's talk about that a little bit more and why your focus was really to make sure that people who look like yourself and myself have the financial knowledge they need. Is this another way that you give back to that community? 
your North Star? It is. Mm. It is. Like generosity and giving is are like a couple of my core values. And part of it is like if I'm going to be 100, like all the way real with you, let me tell you, I want to be, I desire to be, I need to be surrounded by people who are happy, yeah. whole, and rich. And when I say rich, I mean, like, if I say, let's go to dinner and let's get the appetizers and the cocktail and the dessert, they like, cool, no problem. If I text you and say, hey, I'm feeling a little depressed today. I saw an all-inclusive resort in the Dominican Republic for four days on May 15th. Mm-hmm. Real story. Mm-hmm. I want to go and um, this is how much it costs. And people say, okay, cool. You want me to give you the money or is there a travel agent? Mm-hmm. Like I really did that. If three of my friends went to the Dominican Republic with me and because they had the money and they were like, well, shoot, we can go on vacation with you all the time. Cause you told me a date, you told me a money and you told me where to send it. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have to do nothing, but show mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's the secret. Got it. Yeah. So like, right now, so- Mayla, I'm just going to let you know, I'm only dinner rich, so I can't get the appetizer and the cocktail. Um, the last minute <laughs> trip to the DR, we're working towards that. And once this podcast is monetized, there's, I have no doubt that I can record from anybody's all inclusive, but that is, I love that. I want to be around people who are happy and rich and, and I mean, yeah. can't afford the appetizers and can go on vacay. Yes. Yeah. And, but, but it, I also take on the responsibility that like, it's part of my responsibility to contribute to that. Right. Like yeah. I need to give knowledge, tips, information, encouragement, love, whatever, to help people get there if they're not there yet. Yeah. Wow. You truly are about that community life. Uh, You should add in your bio community service and not the kind on the side of the street. Like you (laughs) are really about the community. And I'm really excited about this book, like how to afford everything, because we all want to be able to do that. I love the title as well. Now, my- yeah, one of the chapters we didn't even talk about is I actually write a whole chapter about generosity mm. um, called It's Giving Generous. And part it's of it is giving because- generous. Y'all heard it. Yeah. That's probably going to be our favorite uh, chapter. <laughs> yeah. And part of it is because like I, so many of us and us can be anybody like Mm -hmm. we have families that also need us and Mm -hmm. so we have to balance being needed with building our strong foundation so how do we do that and how do we live in a world that we want to contribute to in ways that also work for our budget and also work for our energy and also work for our growth because it can two things can be true at the same time and but people haven't necessarily taught us how to do that. And so I'm hoping that by reading this book and that chapter in particular, people will get some clues about how to feel good about giving when, where, and how they can Mm -hmm. while also making sure they're straight. Because boo, you cannot pour for an empty cup. I have tried and like you don't get nothing. Man, talk about it. Darla, thank you so much. I want to give my um, audience an opportunity to raise their hand. If you'd like to come to the stage and speak with either myself or my guest, now is your opportunity to do so. Remember, this is the last episode of the year. So if you've been wanting to get up on this stage, this is your time to do so while they decide if they want to raise their hands or not, Darla. I would like for you to share where people can find you, where they can get this amazing book. Um, The holidays are here. She's having a packing party today. So she's shipping out orders tomorrow. Please tell my audience where they can get this great information that you shared uh, just just a glimpse of today, but in abundance. Yes. And so go to Afford Everything Book. If that's too many letters for you, affordeverythingbook.com. Guess what? You can use, just use my name, darlabishop.com. They both go to the same place. Mm-hmm. Buy the book. Buy the book. And you can get it on Amazon, awesome retailer. You can also get it on Barnes and Nobles, but baby, like buy direct. Mm, direct to consumer, okay? Go direct. That's how you afford everything. We don't want no middlemen in our pockets. So. <laughs> I mean, you know, I do want the access to the audience, but like if you buy it from me, it's actually an author's cut because there's a section in this book that didn't get into the section that went to Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So you get actually some bonuses if yeah. you buy it directly from me and you get a signed copy. Hey, 
exclusive signed copy of the book. You'll be able to remember that you were on the season finale episode of Hilariously Unemployed Season 1. It'll be a whole little memory forming um, situation. So definitely go out and get that book. Well, not go out. Do it. Do your, Do it on your phone. Do it on your computer. It's real easy from your phone. I had like five of my friends test it to make sure it was easy to send me money it's, for this book. Yeah, it's easy to get it on your phone. If nobody has any questions, I would like to once again, thank my amazing guest, Darla. I am so grateful that you joined me for this final episode. I think especially leading up to the holidays is so important that we share messages about financial literacy because a lot of times we will go broke trying to achieve what we think we need to achieve for others for the holidays. And I'm just letting y'all know, I ain't got it. So don't look for it. I'm gonna give you a hug. And um, that's gonna be that on that. Y'all, to my audience, to my hilarious that have joined one, two, three, all episodes, to the people who have listened to me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, anywhere, to those who have shared my post, to those who have shared the invite, to those who have commented, liked, reacted, to those who have done anything in any way to impact the trajectory of this podcast that I love so much. I am so thankful to you all. You have no idea how this effort has transformed my life and took me from a place where I was laid off and trying to figure out what was next to a place where I've become a resource for other people who are dealing with that pain and that emotion. And I am so grateful. My life has truly been transformed. I've had more opportunities than I've ever had. I continue to use my voice to highlight those who are marginalized. In this way, I'm highlighting those who are impacted by layoffs. But I want to continue to highlight women, Black people, Indigenous people, LGBTQIA, everything that goes into that DEI, all the difference, the newer diversity. I am here to be a vessel and a voice for those who cannot speak up, Dana. I am the big speaker. And if you need me, you know where to find me. Please go out, listen to this episode, share it with those you love, those who are unemployed, those who are looking for people to employ, and just those who need a laugh. Give me a five-star review, comment, like, subscribe. It really helps the show grow. I'm about to go before I cry, but this has been season one, episode 18 of the Hilariously Unemployed. See y'all next week for the party, people. I'm out. Bye.